Thank you, guys. Have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. Mm. Man, I, I, it's hard for me to express uh, two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago here when I last spoke as part of our Exodus series was probably the most intense, uh, most vulnerable, most personal, uh, most overwhelming and emotional, uh, but also the most pastoral, I think, service that my wife Chris and I have uh, ever experienced together here at The Vine. And, you know, as we opened up the vulnerability of our journey of infertility And as Chris, in particular, profoundly spoke of her experience with God through that journey, so many of you were were so pastoral towards us and reached out to us, and we're we're so grateful for that. And we kind of knew heading into that week it was going to be an intense week, because chapter 5 that we were looking at that week is an intense chapter. It's perhaps the most intense chapter of the whole Exodus journey itself. It's a chapter where Moses and Aaron with the wind of the Spirit behind them and all of the support of Israel, go before Pharaoh for the first time and say to Pharaoh with so much confidence, let our people go, expecting that Pharaoh is going to go, good idea. And Pharaoh turns to them and says, I don't know this God. Why would I let you go? You're my slaves. You're part of the economy here. We couldn't survive without you. That's not happening. In fact, I'm going to punish you from even suggesting that I'm going to let you go. And he places them under even more slavery, even harsher conditions. And not surprisingly, Israel revolts against Moses and Aaron. What are you doing? Why, why, did you, why have you done this to us? And then Moses, at the end of chapter 5, goes before God and says, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, like I thought things were going to go well now. You had called us. You had promised us. And I thought things were going to happen. And, and it hasn't. Why have things gotten worse before they've gotten to get better? And we talked about that week, how so often that's the journey of so many of us. That God tells us something, gives us a promise, gives us a hope, and we enter into it with a whole bunch of confidence. And yet sometimes things get worse before they get better. And I'm so grateful that Chris was willing to share just those profound reflections she had had about how God had met her in the worst and began to reform and reshape a character in her that would enable her to be the mother she needs to be to our adopted daughter, Mia. And you see in the chapter 5, God beginning to, to take Moses and begin to shape in him a character, begin to shape and form out of the worst moments something that he would need to be in order to, to stand before all of the challenges that were going to be ahead of him, to be able to stand for God in those moments. He had to go through what it was that he was going through in chapter 5. You know, one of the things I've, I've, I've known and, and experienced in my own pastoral career is that so often when God brings us through intense and difficult and hard times, so often he'll then bring us into a time of release and lightness and joy. See, God's a good God, as we've just been singing, and he's faithful to us. And the, and the journey with God is not all mountaintop experiences, but thankfully it's not all valley experiences either. And God moves us in valleys and peaks and valleys and peaks, times where things are hard and then a season afterwards of of joy and and, and a sense of closeness with God and things are going well again. And, And this is exactly what we see happen as we continue our study in the book of Exodus. Because chapter 5, as hard as it is, as the deepest and darkest valley that it is, it moves into chapter 6. And chapter 6 is like the opposite of chapter 5. Where chapter 5 was intense, and where are you, God, and why are things getting worse? Chapter 6, God speaks again to Moses. 
And in chapter 6, God begins to redefine his character to Moses once more and begins to tell Moses about who he is and what he's about to do and the victory and the good things and the character he has and the joy that is going to be set before Moses. And you couldn't get more contrasting things side by side. When we were planning this series about, about four years ago, we, we were planning this chapter five uh, week with you, and we knew that Chris would be sharing her story, and I knew that would be super intense. So I was like, okay, the next week, how do we capture the joy of chapter six? How do we capture the fact that it's, it's so contrasting and so different and kind of fun and a lot lighter than chapter five? And, and one of the things that you guys have been asking me most over the last 10 weeks of doing this series, the number one question I've been getting from you is, how did you actually film the thing? Like, how did you actually pull it off? Like, like what, were, what was the, the journey of actually trying to put this whole Exodus series and all the films together? And, and so when we were playing this four years ago, we're like, wouldn't it be great to, to, to follow Chris's intensity with the joy of a behind-the-scenes kind of episode, you know? Like, take people behind the scenes and show them how crazy it was to actually put this whole thing together. Because the reality is, if chapter 5 is hard and chapter 6 is good, there's a journey that you have to go through to get there. And if there was anything I can testify through this whole Exodus experience and the films and everything we made is that we went through that journey ourselves, that things got worse before they got better for us, that the whole journey was not easy. It wasn't fun all the time. It was challenging. And yet through that, we saw God do things that we never thought or expected he would ever do. And so today, I want to make things a little bit more fun. And we're going to actually go back to Egypt and Jordan, but I'm going to take you behind the scenes. We're going to do this by, uh, but we actually put together a, a Zoom call with uh, four of the key members of the crew. Uh, Toby Thomas, who was our director based in London. Anthony Gibbs, who's our editor based in Sydney. Uh, Riley Sue, who's the producer of the whole series, who's based here in Hong Kong, and myself. We all got on a call together to talk about the craziness of this journey. Um, and so I want to now take you behind the scenes with Exodus. Let's check it out. Hi, I'm Andrew. Hey, I'm Toby. Hi, I'm Riley. I'm Anthony. Yeah, so I think uh, the project was originally conceived back in 2018. I think I probably got like an Instagram message from Andrew, yeah, 2018, being like, hey man, I'd love to speak to you about something. And then when he pitched the project to me, I was like, oh, this sounds like it's gonna, <laughs> gonna be really, really exciting. Toby, myself, and one of our producers in the very early days, Lauren, uh, got on a, a Skype back in those days and, and read through the book of Exodus over about three months together. Uh, that was sort of late 2018 into early 2019 and uh, that was how we began everything and I think soon after we finished reading that we were expecting things to be boom 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 get the crew together um, do some reckeys start uh, start filming uh, and of course you know uh, the world fell uh, fell out from itself so I mean like just to give you an idea of how long this took right like when this started Toby was unmarried with no children and I didn't have a child and now we're not even finished and Toby's married with two kids and I have one. I mean, that just goes to show how long this took. I had brown hair when we started. <laughs> so I guess the crew was, firstly, the person who stayed on the project the whole time was Devon. Secondly, there was Oliver and then um, Anthony. Riley is um, strict on the budget. And we also had Ben with us and then my role was the director. That, that, that was the crew on the ground. Uh, we started off with uh, Jordan first because of delays. That was lunch. Oh, it's fantastic. That's what you'd expect from the first day of a great moment, James, friends. <laughs> what are you doing? 
And uh, first location was the amazing Petra. We rocked up, you know, with our camera gear, and there you have it. Oh, nope. Uh, we're supposed to be uh, shooting in the Petra. We wanted to get in super early whilst it was quiet and the light was good, but uh, we have permits, but apparently now there's a new rule. We're being told that we need to wait maybe 30, 45 minutes for uh, a security personnel to come and accompany us on the shoot, which we probably will have to pay for, which is kind of part of the thing. So a little frustrating right at the start. How are you feeling, Toby? A bit gassy. Oh. And so that was our first day of shooting. We we're all pumped up and it's like, oh, okay, slow down. <laughs> Hang on, slow down. Just done the first uh, sort of four or five takes for uh, episode 30. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, uh, from what I can tell on the little monitor, the shots look incredible. Um, I feel like the content was strong. So it's all coming together. Uh, the crew have gone back to the hotel just to test everything, make sure we caught everything that we need. Uh, now we're going to get a few more B-roll shots. Loving it. There would be a few moments on the trip where someone would turn up, there'd be five to seven minutes of shouting. I mean like guttural shouting. And then people would get in a car and drive away and apparently it was fine. We were at a location that we had gotten permit for um, and our fixers have told us that yes, you can film there. And we rock up, we're in the middle of shooting and the owner of the location comes out and starts berating our fixers for allowing us to shoot there. We went down to start filming. We got permits and everything, so everything's legit. Um, but then we got a call from the local intelligence bureau, this area, uh, saying that we had to stop shooting straight away. We came back to the car park and now they're, our, our Jordanian fixers and the security guys are having this massive argument and we're just praying um, that we'll be able to clear this up and, and get shooting again. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty disruptive to suddenly have this sort of stuff happen. Definitely the most extreme shouting, definitely the most uh, intimidating people. And so we got kicked out and we had to delete all of our footage from that location. I distinctly remember at one point during the Jordan that I was like taking the SD cards out of my camera and putting like another empty one in and like putting the other one down my sock just in case, you know? <laughs> just be like, oh no, I've got nothing. I haven't shot anything at all. What are you talking about? Yeah, so, so Egypt uh, is split by different kind of districts in some ways, uh, and uh, each of the areas have their own political sensitivities to them. Um, and as you travel, and of course we were tracing the, the journey of, of, of Israel through Egypt, so we had to cross quite a few of these sort of internal borders, if you will. Uh, every single time you would do that, you would have to go through a checkpoint, uh, and the checkpoints are everywhere. Uh, this is the fourth checkpoint of the day and uh, one of the guys that were with from the Egyptian company we're using was, I think they're all getting a bit frustrated. Um, you know, it's really slow going where, you know, you consent to stop at these checkpoints. And sometimes they just kind of wave you through. Sometimes you have to stop for an hour and you just never know. So you get there, what's going to happen? And this one, I think they thought we were just going to drive through and they've stopped us again. So yeah, 
tensions a bit high. And I, th I think that, you know, it's the security in Sinai in particular, the Sinai Peninsula, that area, you know, can be quite, you know, again, politically sensitive. Uh, there were certain areas where we'd have a police escort to go to various places that we needed to get to. There was this moment uh, where we were driving down to Beni Hassan, which is in the south. We're in a, two vans with two police escorts with six people with guns in both vans either side of us. And Devin is just like, I am not gonna tell my wife this is happening right now, this moment. She can know when I get back because we're, he's just like, why is this necessary? So like, you're just kind of like watching over your shoulder, trying to figure out why all these people are escorting you there. It's because they think Andrew's a major celebrity, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that, was, that was the reason, yeah. I think the other important thing to, to, to kind of weigh in here with is I, I think actually doing a project like this in Egypt itself is incredibly complex and difficult. Um, and it's funny, actually, Riley and I chatted about this early on in the project, and we did our research, like, who else? What other films are out there by churches on the Exodus? And it was like, like, we could find nothing. I remember maybe like a year into the project, Riley was like, you know, Riley and I were having a conversation. It was basically like, now we know why no one else has done this thing. It's just incredibly complex. Oh my God. Yeah, so, so we went to the pyramids. We show up on day one. It was literally day one of the shoot. Day one? Walked to the pyramids. Excited. And we got all the cameras out. We're out there and... and There's no one here. We've got the spot. Let's go. Okay, so we show up here. Back in 2019, they didn't have these flying lawnmowers around the pyramids, but now they're absolutely everywhere. And when you're trying to record sound, it's an absolute nightmare. So much of the last two days, it's been us standing ready to go, like ready to shout action, and that happens. And the noise was just like, like we can't do audio with these things flying over over our heads. And it was just like, oh, like such the morale on day one was just like everyone looking at each other, feeling a bit awkward. And any time like one would sort of fly away, we'd be like, okay, go, 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 go. And I'd be like, do my thing. And it'd be like, this next one would fly in. We'd all have to stop all of a sudden. And so it was quite stressful, yeah. The walk up to the top of St. Catherine's. I've never been able to be like, I've seen something break someone, but now I can say that. That's Anthony and Andrew. So close, there they are. I'm falling behind, but uh, weather update, it is cold. <gasps> Over there. <laughs> he's got his hands and he's so cold, he's got his hands. And I think, I think he healed over time, um, probably when he returned back to Hong Kong, but um, he was a different man by the end of the, the walk up, let's put it that way. In terms of like, yeah, I, I'm very proud of this project. It's been birthed through prayer and study and fellowship and just a deep relationship and trust for one another. This is what we go through to get these shots. And I have to put up with this guy. <laughs> For me, there were two highlights. I think one was on the top of Mount Sinai. We timed it a little bit wrong and we got up there two and a half hours before the sun came up. So we had a very cold two and a half hours on the top of this mountain in the pitch blackness. And we laid down and we looked up at the stars 
and the stars were just incredible and we saw like I don't know how many shooting stars and and I remember just having this prayer time just just myself praying with God on the top of Mount Sinai like it was just that was very I think that was the most spiritually moving moment for me um, you know when I when I thought about the whole project the fact that we were finally there doing doing this dream that we'd had for so long and being on top of that mountain uh, and feeling very connected to God I think for me the hardest bit was when um, we had to cancel Egypt like two days before flying out and I, I think internally I was kind of upset with God because I was just like what like what is this you know if, if it was no if it's a no we're not meant to go then just tell us then I wouldn't have to go through you know all the stress and 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 like you know working like at 3 4 a.m. at night trying to you know like cancel flights and tell everybody and then you know what next and oh, oh and then like oh reconnecting them to jordan instead and that was yeah that was very hard it's interesting you share that rally because that's exactly how the israelites felt when they were there by the red sea uh the armies coming at them and they said to moses like why did we even bother like it would have been better if we'd just not even done this kind of thing and i think it's really interesting that i, I think in a way we did experience that same sort of feeling throughout the trip you know why why are we doing this like why why has god set us up to fail it felt like that a few times you know and uh yeah it's interesting how that i think that connects into the actual exodus story itself like the how moses would have felt like oh gosh like god you better you better like show up and pull through like i've got like two million people here who's gonna like slaughter me if if this doesn't work out yeah and that's exactly how i felt on the flight over I'm like, not that I've got two million people, I've got like a crew of eight or whatever, but you know, like I'm flying over going like, God, you better, this better work. So we're taking a step of faith here. And that's very much what Exodus is all about. Yeah, that, um, so, so that idea of a step of faith is what the Exodus is all about. And it's exactly what we see between chapter five and chapter six. And so much of our journey through the filming of this is it going to happen? Is it going to work? Is God going to come through? Is exactly how Moses is feeling as he steps into this new chapter. And finally, God begins to speak. And it's amazing what God does in the beginning of chapter 6. He gives Moses three reasons why Moses should trust him. And no matter where you are right now in your relationship with God, no matter what low you might be facing at the moment, these are three things that you can take to the bank. Three things that you always have a reason to trust God. I want to share these with you, starting in six, uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let him go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country, or of his country. The first thing the Lord does to try to remind Moses about how he can trust him is he speaks about his mighty hand. Now this phrase, a mighty hand, becomes a common phrase throughout the rest of the Old Testament narrative from this point from here. But its roots are in the Exodus story. It's mentioned twice in this passage alone, but it's mentioned multiple times throughout the rest of the book of Exodus. And when it's mentioned, it's talking about two things. It's talking about the power that God has to fight battles that we are not able to fight. That's the first thing that's meant. When God says, my hand is mighty, my hand is working in a mighty way, he's saying, I'm fighting battles on your behalf that you cannot fight. The second thing it means is that I am at work influencing human affairs in a way that you could not influence or do yourself. 
So these are sovereign responses of God. His mighty hand fights battles we cannot fight and changes human hearts and changes human affairs in ways that we could never do. And God is wanting to speak to Moses and saying, right now, it seems like it's getting worse before it gets better. Right now, it seems like things are really hard, but you've got to remember, my mighty hand is on your behalf. He doesn't say to Moses, trust in your mighty hand. He doesn't say trust in your power, trust in your ability to influence Pharaoh, trust in your speaking ability, trust in all these things. He doesn't say that. He says, trust in me. Trust in who you know I am. I'm a mighty God with a mighty hand. I'm fighting battles and I can influence world affairs like you never could. And some of you here, that's the call for you. To trust in a God who is able to do what you cannot do. And stop fighting in your own strength. Because that only ever leads to burnout. And actually open your heart to the fact that God is fighting on your behalf. He's got a mighty hand. And I love what God says right at the beginning of this verse. He says, now you will see my mighty hand. In other words, he's not asking Moses to believe in blind faith. He's not just saying, believe in my mighty power, even though you're never going to see it. He's like, now you will see my might and my power at work. I'm about to change Pharaoh's heart. His heart is hardened, but I'm going to soften it. I'm going to cause him to let you go. You're going to see the power of my hand at work. I'm going to fight battles for you throughout the whole journey. It's about to take place. Now you will see. And I think this is really important because so often if we're in a low time, if we're in a valley, if it seems like things are getting worse before they get better, it's so easy for us, so quick for us, to forget the powerful things God has done in the past. And, and I believe for some of you in this room, that's exactly what God wants to be doing. He wants you to have that faith again, to say, now I'm going to see the power of God. Something changes in us in terms of our faith when we see the power of God at work. I remember a few years ago, I was on a, a KMB bus in Kowloon, and I'm traveling through Kowloon somewhere, and I'm on this bus, and this is kind of like a pastor's thing, but every once in a while, when you're a pastor and you get into a place where nobody knows you, you kind of just breathe a sigh of relief. It's like, I don't need to be a pastor now for like the next five minutes, and I can enjoy my bus ride in Kowloon where no one knows me. It's awesome. So I'm on this bus. I'm relaxed. I'm chilled. I kid you not, after about five minutes of going, this guy about four seats away from me starts to manifest demonically. Now, I've, I've been involved, and I've been around the demonic work, and I've, I've been involved in deliverance of people that have demonic spirits over my pastoral years. And so I knew exactly what was happening. I knew that this was what was taking place in this person. And it was so funny, because my immediate reaction was, is there any other Christian on this bus <laughs> who can step up right now? Because I'm on a short holiday right now, you know what I mean? Like, and I heard God say something to me straight away. He said, Andrew, do you want to see my power? It's a great question. Because you'd think immediately we'd say yes, right? But do you really want to see my power? And I said, yeah, God, I want to see your power. He's like, well, pray for him then. Deliver a demon and you'll see my power. And so mustering up all of the faith that I have, which wasn't very much at that time, I said out loud, I said, in Jesus' name, be gone. And immediately he fell asleep just fell asleep, just totally like passed out, fell asleep. And I was like, whoa, that was cool. I just saw the power of God. I'm like, is that going to work again next time I'm arguing with my wife? In the name of Jesus! <laughs> teach us, teach us. 
<laughs> Damon's like, teach me, teach me. God says to Moses, now you will see. And I think sometimes there's, there's a faith needed in the church around the world to say, God, I want to see. Would you move in power like you've never moved before? We need it now, Lord. Would you come and would you show yourself faithful? So God says, you can trust me because I'm a mighty hand. I'm at work. Here's the second thing he says in verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. This is the word Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, um, but by... Uh, but but by my name, uh, what am I saying? No, no. But by my name, uh, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So it's an amazing thing what he says here, uh, even though I can't read it. What he's saying here is there's two names that you have to understand that I revealed myself. There's a name that I revealed myself to the generations in the past, and he says that's the name Lord Almighty. And there's a name now that I'm generating and that I'm giving to you, which is Yahweh. Now, here's what you need to understand. The, the, the name that he had given to the generations of the past, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was El Shaddai. It means the God of might or the God of power. So, so when he first reveals and he calls Abraham to come out and to start the new nation of Israel, he reveals himself as El Shaddai, the God of power, the God of might. But when he shows up and reveals himself to Moses at the beginning of the Exodus at the burning bush, he doesn't use that name. He uses a new name. The name is Yahweh which is translated in the Old Testament, Lord, in capital letters, but it essentially means I am who I am, or he is who he is, or he will be what he will be. Or more specifically, it means he will be with us. So I want you to see something powerful that God does. And this is the second reason why he says to Moses that he can trust him. He says, it's because you need to understand that I'm revealing something about myself that I had not revealed in history past. With your generations in the past, I reveal myself mighty and powerful. But for you, I'm revealing myself personally, intimately, the one who is with you. In fact, this is what we've seen of God throughout the whole of the Exodus journey so far. I have seen the misery of my people and I've come down to be with them. I have compassion because I see their pain and their suffering. I want to be here with them. And so it's fascinating to me that God reveals himself differently at different seasons and different times. And note this, because I think God got it around the wrong way. When you see the El Shaddai at the beginning, God of power, and the Yahweh, the personal, shouldn't it have been the other way around? Like when God first reveals himself to Abraham, you would think he would reveal himself personally and intimately with him. Hey, it's us. It's me. I'm your God. Let me tell you a little bit about what it is to worship me. Let's journey together. To, you know, that's the establishing of a relationship. You think God would reveal himself personally. And when it comes to the Exodus, wouldn't you think that God would reveal himself mighty and powerful and like awesome and stuff? But he doesn't. He does it the other way around. With Abraham and Isaac, it's power and might. With Moses and Israel, in the moment of their greatest need, it's intimacy, care, and love. And the question you should be asking yourself is, Why? And the answer is this, the greatest amount of God's power that you will ever experience in your life will come through his intimacy and his care for you. God breaks chains over you by deepening his relationship with you. So his personal and intimate relationship with us, his desire to draw close so that we can know him personally and intimately, that is always going to be the place where you will find your greatest freedom. 
You will find your greatest breakthroughs, your greatest freedoms, your greatest walking out of slavery when you know the intimacy of a God, when you have that intimate, personal, connected relationship with him. If you only have the God of power, you might break some chains, but you will fall back into those chains again. The thing that sustains you, the thing that's going to enable you to walk out of those chains forever and move into freedom will be because you know there's a God who walks with you intimately and purposely every step of the way. His care, his love, his intimacy with you is the defining thing that won't just break the chains, but will keep them off you. Are you with me? So you can trust me, God says to Moses, because I am this mighty and powerful God and I'm in fighting battles and I'm involved in the hearts of man. But you can also trust me because I'm with you. I know you, and I love you, and I'm caring for you. And both of those two things are a reality at the same time, and your freedom needs both of those things. Here's the third thing he does in verse 4. He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they had lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. The third reason that he gives for the reason why Moses can now trust him is because of the covenant. And God has mentioned his covenant every step of the way of the Exodus so far to Moses because it's that important to God. His covenant is his contract with his people that he will deliver them, that he will bring the promises that he has in his heart for him. His covenant is the established reality that I have taken you, I have chosen you, you are my people, and because I have said my word, I never break my word. You can trust me because I'm covenanted to you. I'm connected with you. I have a contract with you. I've chosen you. I've done that in my own free will, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because I desire to be in relationship with you. And because I have covenanted, I've contractually committed myself to you, no matter what you do, it will not break the power of the coming of the promise that I have for you. You can trust me, God says, because I stand on my word. You can trust me because I never forget my contracts. You can trust me because unlike so many of us, you can take my word to the bank. If I've said it, if I've declared it, it will come to pass, says the Lord Almighty. So these three things is what God is trying to communicate to Moses. You can trust me because I am mighty before you, I am personal with you, and I'm covenanted to you. And those three things are what you can build your life on. You can trust God no matter what circumstance situation is going on in your life because he is mighty and powerful to save. Because he is personal and intimate with his people. Because he has placed a covenant over us. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, a covenant written on stone. In the New Testament, through Jesus, a covenant given by the blood of Christ. Those things have never changed. These three things, which are started and founded here at the beginning of chapter 6, become the complete foundation of our relationship with God. It is the foundation of our Christian faith that he is mighty, personal, and committed. Are you with me still? Now, off the back of all three of those, I want you to see what then God says. He said, because you can trust me for these three things, here are seven things I'm going to do for you. And I think these seven things he does for Moses and Israel are seven things he will always do for you. Let me show you this really quick. Verse 6, Therefore say to the Israelites, 
I am the Lord. There it is, Yahweh, this personal God. I will bring you up out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, for I am the Lord. Seven I will do statements here. Let me show you the seven here. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you. I will give it to you. These are the seven things that he says, because I have a foundation of my mighty power, my personal intimacy, and my covenant with you, I will do these seven things for you, Moses. And I say, he's doing these seven things for the vine church, for you, and whatever journey of Exodus you're in, he will do these things for you. Now, what's beautiful is when you read this in the Hebrew rather than the English, when you read it in English, it just looks like a random bit of a list. When you read it in the Hebrew, you can see that poetically the writer here is trying to group these under four different phases of who God is. And I want to show you this really quick. The first is this idea of take. God declares to Moses, I will take you. I will take you and be your God. Because that's who I am. I've chosen you of my own free will. And because I will take you, here's what I will do for you. The second thing, I will bless you. If I take you to be mine, then my promises, my character, my love will be yours. In taking you to be part of my family, in being your God, I will then give to you these promises. And it's captured in this idea of I will bring you in, as he says in this passage. In other words, there is a time in the future where you will be in my promises. The things that I have for you will always be a blessing for you. I bless the things that I have chosen and taken. Are you with me? So I, I will take you so that I would ultimately bless you. Now, however, I cannot bless you until I, third, break some of the things that are holding you enslaved. So this idea of breaking, or I will bring you out of your slavery, I will free you from the bonds of your slavery, I will redeem you or save you. These are the ideas of God breaking the bonds that are holding Israel out of the promises that God had already declared for them. So I'm going to take you because I have a promise that I want to bless you with, but to get you there, i got to break some of that stuff off of you. Once it's broken, then I can give you, that's the final phase, I can give you what it is that I long to give you. And so this idea of I will actually give you, as it said here. So those seven things actually become a part of a four-stage process that God is declaring to Israel in this moment and saying, the rest of the Exodus is about this. I'm going to take you. I'm going to pour my blessings on you. I'm going to break off Pharaoh's hold from you. And then eventually, I will give you the promised land that you'll move in. Are you with me still? This idea of taking, blessing, breaking, and giving becomes the foundational thinking for Jewish people when it comes to their understanding of God. And it's based here in Exodus chapter 6, the mountain after the valley of Exodus chapter 5. But it's not the only time in history when this concept becomes so important for God's people. In fact, as I draw to a close, I want to share with you one final passage that happens in the New Testament. This is a moment where Jesus just literally the night before he's about to be betrayed, he comes before his disciples and they find an upper room to celebrate Passover. Passover, the meal that was celebrated and still celebrated today by Jewish people around the world that that recognizes 
the power of God to bring people out of their slavery. And so in this moment, Jesus is celebrating a Jewish festival with his disciples that's linked to the Exodus. Does that make sense to you? Are you with me? Everybody still okay? Okay, you need to follow this. So he's sitting in this upper room, and he's doing a Jewish festival with his disciples. But for the first time in history, Jesus will now embody himself into the Exodus narrative. He will now say that that whole journey that took place in Exodus was actually about me and the journey I'm about to bring you on. I want to show you this in what he says, verse 14 onwards. This is Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Verse 19, he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said this, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I want you to hear Exodus in this. It's the Passover celebration, and Jesus is talking about a new covenant he's going to bring, linking to Exodus chapter 6. But I want you to see where the link is most powerful. Take a look at verse 19. And he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. Isn't that crazy? Jesus, in deciding to create what we now commonly call communion, what the church has been practicing for over 2,000 years, Jesus begins that practice by literally doing the very four things that is rooted in chapter 6 of Exodus. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it, creating a tradition that we now do that not only aligns ourselves to Jesus, but aligns ourselves to the God of the Exodus, the one who is mighty, personal, and covenanted to us. And this is exactly what happens for Jesus himself. God has taken Christ Jesus. He has blessed him with his life on earth. His body is broken on the cross so that that body broken and the blood shed would give those who would believe in him eternal life. In the same way, Christ through his relationship with you, he has taken you from your bondage of slavery. He has blessed you with his presence and with the gospel. He has broken off the slavery of sin in your life and he has given you eternal life. Take, bless, give. I got it wrong. Take, bless, break, give is the process that God has for his people. That's the God of the Exodus, my friends. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, those four things God does for you. And you can trust him because he has the might to do it. He's personally with you. He's covenanted to you. And he will take you. He will bless you. He will break off the things that need to be broken off so that he can give you all the promises that he's longed to give you. Amen? Amen. Would you stand